I couldn't be in a more interesting job at, at, at an important time in our history. Wonderful. Well, yeah. and you're showing it. Her, her yeah. smile from yeah. very ear. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like she this just is... had her second cup of coffee all of a sudden. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. L- exactly. Listeners, this is why we're talking transportation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super excited about uh, it. More well, so than, than I should be, probably. We are looking forward our way. We're in Studio C in the 511 Studios. This is Brett, and with me as always is Carol. How are you this morning? I'm good, Brett. Thank you. Today we are covering a really different topic than we've been doing in our past podcasting, but this is such a critical issue for Central Ohio. So I'm guessing that everyone in our audience experiences problems and difficulties in getting around their community. Too many cars on the road, congestion, construction, so much wasted time in commuting. Even though our traffic may be a little bit lower, it's still pretty wild out there on the roads. So we're excited to welcome our guest, Thea Ewing, Director of Transportation and Infrastructure Development for MORPSI, which is the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission. Thea, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, good morning, Carol, and good morning, Brett. Uh, Yes, uh, I am excited to come and talk to you about what we're doing in transportation planning uh, in Central Ohio. Good. Well, you know, let's go on that theme. Let's explore the role of MORPSI in our community and and give us some background on your experience and expertise in the transportation arena. Awesome. Uh, MORPSI, we Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, really got our start in land use and transportation planning over 50 years ago. I can't believe it. Oh, wow. Uh, So we are a collection of uh, Central Ohio communities that work together, like the city of Columbus, the city of Whitehall, you know, even Delaware County are members of ours. And uh, we don't just do transportation and land use focused planning anymore. We also work on advocacy for our local governments. So we have a connection to the state house for them and the impacts on their communities, as well as housing and weatherization for communities uh, or members of our community who may need that in services in their home and can't afford them. Um, so various grant programs we can access for that. Uh, and then we we do hold a, a number of uh, data mapping resources. Right. Um, and that comes out of our history of land use and transportation, but now has been able to be a useful tool to many of our communities as they're trying to determine you know, deployment of uh, maybe an, an emergency resource or, you know, how to deal with the coronavirus, right? right? Exactly. So, so it's been really great. Uh, resources kind of like cross over uh, across the agency to help the community as we've evolved into what we are today from just over 50 years right. ago. Wow. I, I've always been a huge admirer of, of the Morpsey team and I don't think folks realize how difficult it can be to get information about particular topics. And you get a small community, they don't have the resources to do that in-depth research and data analysis that needs to be done so they can get grant money to fix a road, fix a, a an intersection. It's a lot more complicated than people realize. And having Morpsey behind you is huge. 
Yeah, I like to think of our team as an extension of uh, many of the government agencies in the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them, uh, through through working with us, they have the, another person on staff, basically, that right. can do that extra work and right. help them do the planning right. they need to do or write the grant they need to go after. Yeah, that's exactly where we want to be for the, the Central Ohio region. Okay, so Thea, our audience is, um, you know, maybe still wondering why we're even discussing transportation um, since so many of us have been home for so long, working from home. So why are transportation systems so important? It's just not about the amount of exhaust pouring into our sky, but how does it affect the success of our cities? Oh, my gosh. So transportation is a true economic indicator, Right. So, I mean, the coronavirus, for example, I've been tracking a lot of uh, the traffic patterns since the, the, the virus. And we took a major dip at the beginning of April. It took till about the beginning of April to, to really recognize that, you know, we, we, we track uh, on a map. It's almost like in your car. You know, green means the, the road's not congested, congested red means it's pretty congested. So we have that, and we track it throughout the day, the congestion levels. And so we used to have places around town that had little red marks for certain periods of the day. Then you know That was a normal peak performance of those roads. We went to where we were all green 24-7, right? right? right. That's crazy. And I don't mean, I mean, crazy good from a getting to get around town, mm-hmm. but from an economic standpoint, that was telling me there was something going on, right? We didn't have as many cars on the road, but oddly enough, we had many trucks going in and out of Rickenbacker, and actually flights mm-hmm. going in and out of Rickenbacker took some record highs. We actually took a dip back in January. You want to know why? The reason why is because actually the virus was hitting uh, Asia where many of our planes were coming in and out of into right. central Ohio, into our Rickenbacker port. So this is all like basically what I'm getting to is like these are all systems. They all work together. Mm-hmm. Trains, the trucks on the road, our cars mixed into that, the buses, all these various systems that work together and utilize these systems. And they are when people are out there on them, it's a big sign of what you're, what's going on in your economy. Well, I think, too, the the – the one thing you just said to me is like eye-opening. Transportation is not just a a, a sign of uh, whether we have a lot of cars on the road. It's an economic indicator. Mm-hmm. And if we had looked at the fact that Rickenbacker was low in January and not assumed it was because of the weather, who knows what our health folks would have realized even sooner about the pandemic coming. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure this wasn't across the United States. We, you know, different ports were seeing it, right. but it wasn't really getting, you know, that attention. Exactly. You know, exactly. but on the flip side, since, you know, there have been folks working from home and we have seen less traffic. It is coming back, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and our biggest hit areas are places like downtown Columbus or the more more populous areas. Honestly, out in the rural areas, it's already bounced back pretty significantly. It only took a small dip. Um, but, yeah, in the, in the Sitter City is much of a, a higher one. And then around around major areas where there is warehousing associated with like Amazon, Walmart, any of our major retailers, actually, it's higher traffic volumes. Yeah. Um, so it's just really 
interesting. I mean, you know, people say, oh, you work in transportation. That must be boring. No, it is super exciting. <laughs> I mean, right. we get to know what's going on, you know, in our community. We get we get indicators of what's what the next thing is going to be. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. And really, this is a system that builds out upon systems so it's not just it's not like you're just talking about cars or trucks or airplanes or bicycles it's everything right Right. it all has to work together and i mean that's a perfect storm right there that's a perfect storm to get all that working together and then last thing i'll say i know we're in a big political season or hopefully at the end of one right um but uh, there's nothing the R's and the D's love more than talking about infrastructure. So I I couldn't be uh, more thrilled that, to be in a place where uh, we're kind of moving past some of these issues we're talking about today to be able to move to talking about transportation at that federal level, Wonderful. local yeah. level. Um, so I I think uh, I couldn't be in a more interesting job at, at, at an important time in our history. Wonderful. Well, and yeah. you're showing it. Her, her yeah. smile from yeah. ear to ear. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like she this just is, had her second cup of coffee all of a sudden. Exactly. Yeah, so, li- exactly. Listeners, this is why we're talking transportation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super excited about yeah. it. More well, so than, than I should be, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, though, because, you, you know, what you just said is, too, that, you know, you can see the future, Yes. What you see, you know, it's not just, okay, this happened yesterday. So I know this is a trend and we know these trends mean this. So that, I mean, that's what can be super exciting is that you kind of know you can read in the tea leaves, quote unquote, of what might be happening. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, Columbus is a a really good example of a sprawling community dependent on cars. In the 60s, we built freeways through our neighborhoods. And, you know, off mic, we were actually talking about the destruction of what 71 and 75 did to Detroit. And then major thoroughfares through established suburban housing. Without really accounting for potential mass transportation, we lost our rail system. Coda has barriers due to funding, ridership, street size, and we are wed to our cars. There's no way around it, even as we drive alone to work every day. Um, Are there examples of cities that are successfully changing car dependence, and and how did they get to that point? Mm -hmm. That is a very good question. Um, Yeah, we (laughs) in Central Ohio, we've been on that quest to figure out that perfect a scenario to move people away from their single occupancy vehicles for a long time. Um, but I do feel like through our Link Us initiative, we're really taking this seriously and not that not that predecessors uh, didn't, um, but we're doing it in ways that do take into account communities that are making those strides and looking at their best practices like Indianapolis uh, and what they've done with their bus rapid transit system. And they um, also have installed a really extensive bike system, bike mm-hmm. a bike track system through their downtown, leveraging a lot of the alleyways and turning those into fast lanes for the bikes, right? So, yeah, nice um, idea. yeah sure. so and that's, I think that's kind of what I was getting at earlier is that, that system idea that these things have to work together. You can't just say, oh, we're going to throw in a bus system, right? That's going to be way better than the old one. No, it has to incorporate the fact that people are going to be walking to this, mm-hmm. right? What about the people who can't walk to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and And then, you know, those people and how they're accessing that and how they interface with the people in their car uh, or in the truck. So um, thinking about all those different things, the safety aspects. So it really becomes very comprehensive. And I feel like that's something we are doing, working with CODA through the Link Us initiative. Um, That is we're looking at multiple corridors. 
It actually started out of some work we had done around corridors and, and where we think that the growth would happen in central Ohio as we are or anticipated mm-hmm. to be as, as much as 3 million people by the year 2050. Um, and so planning for that, you know, not all those people can be in one car every day. And so then we started looking at the corridors and then now we're moving on to actually those like, you know, coming up with the estimates of how much this type of work is going to cost and what exact route it's going to take. Right. So a uh, Northwest corridor headed up towards Dublin, out of downtown and east and a west, uh, that broad Main Street pairing um, from county from Madison County to Licking County, right. basically right. right through downtown. Uh, a southwest, or sorry, sorry, sorry southeast uh, towards uh, the Rickenbacker area out of downtown, a major job hub, mm-hmm. and then um, something that parallels or basically builds upon what is known as the C-Max line, Cleveland Avenue, the northeast, mm-hmm. um, the north. East line. So yeah, and and Coda is doing so much. I mean, this is one of the initiatives that we're working on with them um, and the city, but there's so much more, right? There's so so many other things that they're working on, including um, looking at smaller vehicles um, mm-hmm. for um, uh, getting people around uh, and uh, more on-demand type services. Right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. We, we sort of missed the boat when we didn't dig in a subway under Columbus before yeah. it sprawled out. Um, I remember I was interning in Congress in Washington doing the subway in Washington. Oh, my gosh, that was so cool. I mean, it was... I bet. I, it wasn't even up to... I think it had just hit DuPont Circle at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So it's it was not that large of a system, but it was phenomenal. Kept thinking, you know, why can't we dig under the? We put in a garage under the state house. Why can't we yeah. dig under? Well, and you know, there are a lot of factors that you thought would turn the tide when we when gas prices went so high. Everybody mm-hmm. was talking, oh, okay, that's going to change our minds. <laughs> Never did. All of a sudden, we're actually buying bigger vehicles right. during that time period. Or the um, I don't know if it still exists or not. The the point to point cars. Oh, yeah, car to go. Car to go. Yeah, there's that, a, well, there's a some, different company in town right. doing that, but it's and not that, car to go. That's mm-hmm. interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Didn't really do it, though, either, Mm-mm. to a certain degree. So it seems like it has to just be a combination of timing and, and hearing the public what they need, right? Yeah. Some I th- of it, maybe? I, I, I think so. I mean, so we're kind of on the cusp of the population size that typically ends up taking off with this, right? Okay. So like the Atlantas or, you know, a Chicago that, you know, the basically what it comes down to, the pain isn't painful enough. Well, exactly. <laughs> the, the limitation of parking spaces to actually drive your car downtown or to the loca- or to the place you want to go is more painful than actually just okay. I'm going to buy a ticket to go on the ra- rapid transit or Coda, whatever the case might be. Yeah, yeah, we're just not there yeah. yet. And the beauty of it is, at least now we're planning for that mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. thinking that one through, trying to work in those competitive. Routes. I, I think the other thing is, is you know, with the existing CODA system, when someone rides that, um, they're they're not uh, an opportunity rider. They're a have to rider for exactly. the most part, right? right. Exactly. They're doing that because that's maybe their their last option. Mm-hmm. Um, we we want to, and CODA wants to turn that into opportunity customers. So they're really looking at that customer service. How can we get people there? Right. How can it be competitive with the automobile? Um, I love this new CEO of Coda, uh, Joanna. I say new. She's been around for a couple of years now, um, but I've known her for longer than that she, you know, she's really focused on 
well, this just isn't just a bus system to to kind of make sure that everybody has at least a ride. This is like we need to be more competitive. This needs to create the opportunity for everybody that really truly is the opportunity for everybody. Like they can get there as fast well, as somebody in their car. You know, I think, too, the assumption of mass transportation has always been, oh, it's only for people who can't afford a car. That's not it by it's, any stretch. And but like mm-hmm. you said, the pain point hasn't come. I realized just now it's been likely 20 years since I was in Tempe, Arizona for the bowl game. And it New Year's Eve, they started that little, I can't remember now what they call it, the little shuttle. Uh-huh. That's all like a little train. And we thought, oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. I mean, it went from one stop to another at that night. It was no big deal. But it that I mean, that's been 20 years they did that. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't think of Arizona as a place of looking at issues of mass transportation. There's a lot of land out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's starting to hit them too. Yeah. Uh, with the 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 masses, I've been to Phoenix and Scottsdale lately, and and seeing that they they've had to address this too with mm-hmm. light rail and other, light rail. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. yeah light yeah. rail is a, a really popular. Uh, way to approach that. Another thing is, uh, especially with all the autonomous features that you can build on these vehicles, and I know with Smart Columbus, they had been looking at uh, some some shuttles and stuff, different types of vehicles that to use, and they were testing them here. But I didn't, it's not like we're going to be picking up a full route at this point in time. But uh, when you said bowl game, I was in Minneapolis uh, speaking. Um, uh, to a group, and it was right before the Super Bowl a couple of years oh. ago, and there was one of the companies was testing their autonomous shuttles, oh, and wow. they were running people back and forth in the the those uh, Super Bowl end zone party areas, right? Uh, in this vehicle, and uh, they gave me a sneak peek. You know, I got to ride the autonomous vehicle in the oh, little nice. party zone area oh. and try it out. So I was really. And then, of course, they they told me as they were taking me back to the, the the airport, we could have taken you to Paisley Park. I was like, well, I mean, I am a transportation nerd, <laughs> <laughs> but Prince's House would have been pretty cool yeah, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, cost is a huge factor mm-hmm. in mass transportation. And here in Columbus, um, during the pandemic, I believe that Coda has not been charging a fee. Um, some feel that system should always be free. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not sure about all of the the uh, their notion behind that. Um, but as uh, those who are most dependent on the bus system, you know they're least able to afford it. As I said, you know everybody thinks mass transportation is for folks who can't afford a car. So can you provide us with a few other examples and alternatives to on mass transportation that's affordable? Yeah, thanks for for asking that question. Yeah, so this debate about whether a service like Coda should be free, I mean, certainly that is a very noble um, uh, initiative if if our community chose to take something like that up. But I think the really scary part for me is you're making a commitment in a in a moment in time, right? Mm-hmm. It, because at that point, the income you have coming in, that's it. Right. That's going to be that's going to be it. So you're saying like the federal grants you're going to be receiving or possibly maybe the levy levy dollars at that point. Um, but not being able to generate more revenues over time and being able to collect revenues um, that that's really challenging and doesn't allow a system to continue advancing. Right. Right. And right. so that that's probably my biggest concern with with that argument. 
That being said, it doesn't mean that we can't provide services free of charge to certain individuals or um, look at creative ways to fund things. For instance, we worked with the downtown employers uh, through the Columbus Crossroads Special Improvement District and provided something called CPAS, where actually uh, we did a bulk rate um, mm-hmm. through CODA, provided that to them. They did an assessment whenever they do their taxes. And then um, for nonprofit or governments, they gave a, uh, instead of the taxes, they did a payment in lieu of that was very similar to what the business, or sorry, the, the building owners did. Um, and so all that money goes into a fund that goes to CODA. It pays for 100% of the employees downtown. Now, not 100% of them use it, right? Right. But they also, it's a significant discount. So it kind of ends up being about where, uh, about what the ridership mm-hmm. would be. We actually saw a huge increase in people riding to their jobs downtown as a result of that. And it, and it had a transportation impact as far as traffic as well and parking, uh, which actually was what they were getting at. Parking was becoming such an issue for downtown that there was a start of a conversation about building a new parking garage. Those are multi-million dollar, 30-year adventures <laughs> in yeah, finances. Yeah, hmm. And when we're talking about a time whenever we, we might be improving our transit system, cars maybe have may become more autonomous and we may not need to park them in the downtown, that's a huge building. It's a money dump. Right. right. We don't right. know what our future holds. Why do we need to build another parking garage? And right now, if you're building a parking garage, you better be able to to rehab to be able to rehabilitate it to another use later. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and and when you look at the parking rides all over town, mm-hmm. oftentimes they're empty or only half full, and so that the 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 connection is there. It's just a matter of getting folks to commit to the to the bus system. I was at Ohio State when they started the pass for students, and then I think then then it was increased to staff and faculty also. And truly, I didn't think students would use it, but it's still going from what I understand. Oh, yeah. Actually, it was the model for, okay. for how C-Pass. we did the CPASS. That, yeah. was, that was an awesome program that they got started. Uh, yeah, students really did take to it, and some of their employees did too. And what we've seen with the parking rides, actually, I mean, of course, now during the pandemic, it's not not as much the case. But the parking rides were um, probably some of our biggest stops uh, mm-hmm. for the downtown CPAS program. And we had two of them where they actually had to start sending out more buses. Really? At the morning and the evening um, pickups in, in some of the suburbs. So, yeah, it was an amazing it was amazing turnaround for use. Um, and and this allowed the CPAS users. They didn't they didn't just get that pass for work. They got it for going to an OSU game. Right. Right. Going right to a play. To state going, fair. Yeah. Right. So it, it got people, you know, I think there was probably that, that I remember some of those first conversations like, why do they need uh, to be able to use this all the time? Well, it, it's a part of a lifestyle change. Right. right. We'll get them going on it for work. Well, then they, they might want to use it for other things like this is all a part of the system to, to get to get people moving to trying out that car-free lifestyle. So it's really working. That I felt like was really successful. Um, we also have a van pool program through mm-hmm. GoHio. So maybe, uh, and this is maybe not if you work downtown. Actually, this has been a program that we, I mean, we have seen some dips during coronavirus, but we actually have picked up some new vans during this time too of medical workers going out to VA hospitals, right? right? And actually we have some reverse commuters who are, uh, 
coming from the um no, they're going out to Chillicothe, to the VA in Chillicothe, oh. out of Columbus to there. Um, they initiate out of right. here because they need to go down there. Um, actually, a lot of our federal work staff uh, use these van pools, mm-hmm. and I have a, a team member who works on that. Uh, we also have a program uh, where we help um, people find another person that's just going their way, right, right. to ride with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. We're, we're certainly in that business of trying to find those um, low-cost opportunities for people so that everybody has a chance to move right. forward. Well, and two, um, we will talk about this again at the end of the podcast, but we will put information into the show notes of this podcast that will tell folks where to find these programs. It's no awesome. use us just talking about it if we don't right. give everybody a, a hint on, on where to go. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we well, we really appreciate that. Thank you, Carol. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've heard that what is good for an older adult is likely good for a younger one. I thought we phrased that on this podcast. Isn't that our <clears throat> our yes. quote? Looking forward our way. Right. That's yes, that's exactly. ours. Okay. Exactly. Well, yes. you know, for example, if a bus trip is easy, affordable, safe, and convenient for an older adult, then a young mother with a stroller or a college student with a full backpack of books will also utilize that same service. You know, I understand that educating our citizens in transportation demand management or TDM is needed uh, to change the culture. Can you talk about what TDM is and then, you know, talk about the barriers or we face for an easy, convenient, affordable and, and safe transportation system? Yeah, so we we circuit or sorry, we focus on uh, transportation demand management as a practice at Morpsey. So we really so basically what that comes down to is creating that system for all. So we do things like working on complete streets. We have policies that whenever we're going to do a grant-funded project for a roadway, that when, we, when we're spending that money, we're also looking at a corresponding bike lane, mm-hmm. um, enough width for a bus lane, if should, should we need that there, um, that it, it accommodates the trucks that may need to go through there for the economy, right? right? Or other stops that may need, I mean, maybe sometime in the future, a passenger rail or even, you know, some higher speed right. type train. Right. So um, we definitely do that project by project now. Um, it's it's known as complete streets. That term is called complete streets. We have a complete streets guidance uh, for our projects and every project goes through that. Um, and uh, along those same lines, because a new form of transportation has come, and it's not for us, it's for our data, and that's broadband. Um, it's very important to all of our communities. And I think of it as part of the transportation system because mm-hmm. it is moving something and it's really important to us. And, in fact, it actually puts us in a place where we don't have to move. Think about it. You don't have to go to the library to get the information or you don't maybe don't go – uh, this doesn't sound so good. Go to the movie theater, you know, but it, it's bringing stuff to you, making your job, your life easier. Um, well, and we, we certainly saw that in the pandemic. Well, people not having access to the Internet. Right. Right. And I mean, it, it was bringing you education. Right? right. And if you didn't have it, it was limiting you. From, right. from that education. So we also have a policy, um, and we were the first metropolitan planning organization in the nation to adopt this, a smart streets policy. Smart streets policy is that every time you open up the corridor for a construction project, that you're considering at least installing conduit 
for broadband to be run in that corridor in the future. Now, you may go ahead and start uh, working with the companies to get that broadband put in. Maybe that's public information or public infrastructure that you're going to be putting in there. Maybe it's with a private carrier like Verizon or AT&T. Um, but the, bo- the bottom line is you're at least looking at it because this is another important piece of the transportation puzzle for our future. Um, so, and another item was that, that you are considering the infrastructure needed for new smart lighting systems that may Mm -hmm. help you safely, uh, be able to get through intersections like buses and warning systems in our vehicles. They're going to need specific levels of broadband to communicate with us and say, Hey, there's something coming up ahead. Stop. That stuff may be part of that infrastructure as well. So we want to make sure that stuff gets put into these street projects as well. And then the last one is if you're going in front of a place like a fire station, a library, a school, that you've contacted them and say, hey, we're putting this in. Was there anything you needed uh, as part of this project? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, including if code is on that route, you know, maybe they need it for their communication. So this is really important um, that we consider these corridors in our communities, not just for our movement, but for the movement of our data. So it's basically just a tick list. Yeah. Of what to check. Yeah. And so what I was thinking too, kind of going back to what you said, if it's it's easy for an older person to get around, it's just as easy for a younger, there's a, there is a planner, um, and he's he's from South America. Uh, Gil Penalosa. He's actually spoke at one of the events we've had at Morpsey. It is called an eight eighty eight eighty city, and the the whole concept between an eight eighty city is that someone who's eight years old can get around as good as somebody who's eighty years old, right? And everybody in between. You That's build great. to yeah. that level then, you know, it's meant for everybody. And so I think about that physically as well as digitally. And Morpsey's right there. I I can remember when everybody was all up in arms because we had to pay to have the cutouts on the corners so that for wheelchairs, so that the little ramps for the wheelchairs and everybody was all up in arms. And now it's like when we when it's not there, we're like, well, where why don't they have a wheelchair? Uh use on that sidewalk so that they can get go get across the street that's wonderful that is wonderful well you know i think one of the things that i think of is the baby boomers have aged right oh yeah yeah you know (laughs) you know that that there's probably been some enlightenment for some folks who maybe have been challenged i have a dad who had a stroke you know, who, you know, it was nothing for him just to walk out and go get in the car, have oh, yeah, exactly. no pro- problems, just, you know, getting ready for the day. Now that's just a challenge, right? Right. Uh, walking further. I mean, he can walk, thank goodness. Um, but just walking from his car to the store is hard for him. It, I mean, you know, that's been a major wake up call. And so I think, you know, for people who really want to make a difference, they start to realize like, Oh my gosh, this is the way life has been for this other person their entire life, exactly. right? This isn't just like an old age issue, right? And how am I going to get around when I get older, right? You know, so uh, I think these these things are starting to come up as this this group uh this um generation um definitely is moving into that where they need those services and I think that's going to help Everybody. That's going to be great right. for everybody. Because it, it's it's not just an age. It's the it's um, 
other abilities. It mm-hmm. is individuals who have been sick and who aren't able to walk. And it has, you know, your dad had a stroke. My dad had a stroke. Walking was a huge issue for them. But how about somebody who has to be on a scooter? <laughs> yeah, that's a quality of life situation. Right. No matter right. if it's just you you broke your leg and you've got <laughs> crutches for a few weeks mm-hmm. or you are in a wheelchair all your life. It's quality of life right, situation. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm. Right. If we consider this as we build all the time, then that's not going to be a major issue. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things we are trying to work on at, on uh, several levels. All right. All right. We're taking a little left turn here. All right. The need for <laughs> speed. That's right. We are, we are going to talk about speed now. So, um, Thea, you are leading some very important and critical pro- programs for Morpsy. So it's always great fun to think of our future um, sort of like an outer space adventure. And one of the things that you and I have had an opportunity to talk about was the Hyperloop. Yeah. And what is it? What What is it going to be? I understand now it's not going to be around till. I'm likely no longer on this earth. Darn, I was really hoping to go up to Chicago. I know. Oh, well. Oh, well. So, yeah, thank you for asking me about the Hyperloop Project. I I love sharing this with our community. Uh, We have some people who are really excited about this. So when I started Morpsey in 2014, um, Morpsey had already started a passenger rail project Mm -hmm. uh, focused to Chicago. Um, so really looking at that connection and, you know, the one thing we do, we do a long range planning effort known as the Metropolitan Transportation Plan, where we look out at least 20 years into the future um, every four years. And every time I do this, citizens come and say, you know, I really want to see something with intercity connection, right? I really want to be able to go from city to city. We don't have it. We lost it in 19. The last train rolled out of the Columbus station in 1979. I mean, people can show you a picture of that day. I've right. seen it. You know, like, so I mean, there's there is there is a many hearts and minds very tied to uh, what was our rail service of the past. Um, so we did quite a bit of uh, investigation that we worked with cities between here and Chicago. All the mayors signed on to say, hey, we're really interested in doing this. Uh, basically, we got to a point where it was really challenging to get funding to move to the next stage of the, the project. And we needed to do so to really prove to the FRA mm-hmm. that this thing's for real. Um, but it's around the same time. Hyperloop was being developed as a technology. And um, if, if you're not familiar, Elon Musk, I mean, I just say mm. that name, people know, right. oh, SpaceX, Tesla, this guy, you know, he's he's associated with all these really big ideas. So he came up with this concept and it's been it's been broader developed and there's multiple companies in this space now. It's, it, Hyperloop's a term like railroad, right? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's CSX, there's Norfolk Southern. Well, Hyperloop, there's actually multiple companies working oh, in that okay. space okay. too. So, but, you know, if, if there was like a grandfather of the railroad the elon musk is the grandfather of hyperloop right as as a concept so he came up with this concept when he was sitting in la traffic we got to be able to get around faster right this is just this is ridiculous so and the idea was that taking that magnetic levitation you talk about these high speed bullet trains over in in japan and, and over in asia and taking that technology putting it in a tube so it's safer so it doesn't come into contact with people or you know, livestock along the way mm. uh, and people can't dismantle it or anything like that. And then just in creating that vacuum in the tube so that, that it's not going against resistance or anything and can go super fast. So these, these 
pods inside the tube that which is Hyperloop um, can move over 600 miles per hour. So that's airplane speeds right. on the ground, right? So we looked into this technology when we were looking. We at were rail. promised that when we were growing up, right? Oh yeah. Right. It was supposed to happen by now. The Jetsons. Right. It was supposed to happen by now. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's a place on this earth where it already exists, and it's just, you know, 40 minutes north of Las Vegas. So (laughs) (laughs) So it's a twofer. (laughs) So, no, but uh, really exciting to to work with a company, Virgin Hyperloop One. uh, Mm -hmm. It is tied to Sir Richard Branson and his Virgin Virgin companies. Um, uh, But there are, like I mentioned, there's a number of other companies out there, too. We we compete in a global competition right they had developed the technology but they were looking at places where they could apply this technology like what are cities they could connect and when they did this worldwide competition about 2600 applicants applied from around the world and we went ahead and submitted our corridor that chicago columbus we actually pulled in pittsburgh we noticed there's a rail line between here and the pennsylvania state line that's actually owned by the state of ohio and we thought Let's throw that that idea in there. Um, we won. We were one of ten in the world that they wanted to work with. We continue to work with them this day to this day. That was like back in 2016, 2017. And so we just finished a study with them last year. Um, we've been working with them. They're actually getting ready to place a facility for certification of their technology um, in West Virginia. So not oh, very far nice. from here. Yeah. Um, what we actually have one of their employees who's moving to Columbus cause this is where she grew up. She went to Ohio state. Wow. Um, which by the way, maybe you should talk to her. She's awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, she, uh, she moved back to town and she's going to be going over to West Virginia working on that certification site. And she's going to be here working with me uh, on a regular basis nice. on getting our quarter off the ground. So the very first segment that we've been looking at is this connection between like downtown Columbus and the airport. The idea that we could get some small concept off the ground. So the reality of maybe by the 2030s that we could see a small segment pop up is is real. Cool. Right. I mean, I'm we, may ready. Not, we may not go to Chicago in it by then. But I think we might see as we are very motivated to see something take off with the company um, somewhere in central Ohio. So, I mean, the likelihood of us being able to do that or uh, another direction we thought of is freight, right? mm-hmm. you know, moving our freight around rather quickly. So, yeah, pretty excited about the opportunity to work with them. And um, we, we've taken about uh, 100 officials between Chicago and Pittsburgh at to actually see the the te- they have a test facility as I mentioned uh, 40 miles north of Las Vegas um, and we've taken several out to see it um, they've gotten over it's it's about 5,000 meters um, this site is so it's just over a half a mile uh, around a half a mile and they can get over 230 miles per hour on that and it's not nice. even that long wow. um, so this next facility they'll build is the idea that it, it's going to be longer so they can get up to full speed on it and um, it will also be over ha, have the oversight of the US government so that once they basically meet all of the criteria, this can be like, yep, it's something we can do in the United States. Wow, you know? that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. pretty exciting. And yeah. it's not going to be very far from us where where they do that. So we'll be able to go over and check it out and see how it's going. You know, and and we were uh, fiscally responsible through this planning process because we never did give up the rail side 
of the study. So just so you know, I continue to work on passenger rail as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. You know, we, there's the true and tried of rail as well. So we're going to be looking at all that for the future of, of this region. But the rail is not just as simple as putting a rail on on the existing rail. Uh, if it were, we would already be there. Right. 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 <laughs> well, it's interesting you bring about freight because in my mind it kind of goes, okay, follow the money. It looks as though, to me, freight could actually put this on, on hyperspeed because of the money behind it. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're, you're dealing with transportation, well, like you know, freight, freight that right. is worried about how to package package packages and also how to squeeze every last little inch in a in a cargo to put as much as you can you think the speed to get it from point a to point b would be worth their money oh absolutely you know absolutely. without and 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 then i can see the yin and the yang of this okay you know how much pushback <laughs> rail had against semi trucks you mm-hmm. know and all of a sudden semi trucks could or, you know this the, the, the trucking industry fight this as well so you got to make everybody happy Ultimately, you know, it's like, okay, this can help. This can help. But it, we're not eliminating one. We're, we're, you know, enhancing another because you can't do this anyway mm-hmm. all over the road. This will take care of that piece of it sort of thing. So I, I could see this being very complicated, but very lucrative for some businesses to jump on and go, yes, this is how we can do this better. Right. Well, and going back to passenger rail, anybody who's gone through Europe on rail knows how wonderful it is mm. i mean yeah. i did i did seven countries in 14 days and that would not have happened other than we were on passenger rail sure. the whole time sure. so it was it's phenomenal and why we don't have it here in mm. the midwest i mean they've got it on the east coast i think northern tier a bit but the midwest when we shut down that tra- that rail out of columbus in 79 was a huge mistake because you want to see huge. the usa in your chevrolet you know <laughs> <laughs> that's why because i don't have a chevrolet <laughs> right well whenever i'm sure you know whenever that was you know that whenever there was less congestion mm-hmm. on the road and yes, you know, exactly. oh absolutely sure, sure. Well, yeah but now maybe not so much or or that you know there were no interstates right. <laughs> or oh, as many no. you know you, you and, oh, yeah. and you, it was just like the route 66 trip mm-hmm. or whatever it is i can tell you as someone who recently did travel out west in a vehicle uh well, actually right before the pandemic uh yeah it's not like that anymore you don't want <laughs> right i, I am Appreciated flying mm-hmm. much more after right sure. oh my gosh sure. so yeah, yeah. Well, well let's cover one more area um i get and this is going to be coming from a previous podcast i work with also i'm going to give a shout out to whitehall works um city of whitehall zach and jenna co-host this podcast and back in september of 2020 they did an episode on transportation so they had talked about link us mobility corridors issue initiative um so let's talk a little bit more about that, you know, how that higher transportation capacity, we're going to reconfigure how that all works together. Awesome. So I, I'm i sure you've talked to them a little bit about uh, the work they're doing at uh, Broad and mm-hmm. Hamilton yeah. and mm-hmm. the redevelopment. So the idea that we have corridors in this region that have major nodes like that broad and Hamilton redevelopment mm-hmm. that are coming online, this is where a lot of people are going to live. This is where a lot of people are going to work, right? And so the idea that we would have a system that better connects people to those nodes um, allows for us to be able to have more people in the region, which is is kind of an imminent 
situation for us, but also allows for people to uh, be able to take advantage of a corridor. You know, this is the place where I shop. Everything's convenient for me, right? Mm -hmm. I shop here. I get entertained here. I live here. This is my neighborhood, right? It kind of gives that feeling of, I think of whenever we're talking about passenger rail, maybe not so much that, but like the inner urbans, right? You know, and and how they would, you know, connect you to your job or to places to shop and things like that. So it's very much kind of going back to some of those same things that were uh, facets of developing a city of the past. Um, And uh, it's awesome because Whitehall is right on the cutting edge of uh, being one of those places where people are going to want to be on these corridors because they're going to be on a really happening corridor that connects them to the downtown and to other awesome places in the region that people are going to want to live in. Yeah, That's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. Great. Good. Any other ideas or things that we haven't hit? Is there other other opportunities out there that we didn't know about? Oh, goodness. Uh, I, I think we've covered so much, but I think where I wanted to end is to, to talk a little bit about the transportation planning process. So you know, I talk about Hyperloop a lot with people and I talk, you know, we've talked about the corridor planning, right? And I, I feel like people, when they're talking to me, they get really discouraged because they'll say, oh, well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. I want this to happen now. So patience, patience, mm-hmm. right? So just so, so that everybody understands, um, when we were planning uh, the, this crazy mess out here on I-70, 71, interchange through downtown oh, yes. right that happened the the planning the the initial work to make this happen started 20 years ago right and what it takes to move the blocks of money to make these things happen in the segments we can make them happen in um without that, without really disrupting the current traffic at the time right yeah. well <laughs> well we try so we, we try. sure yeah. we try so but yeah you know I mean, these are things that take a momentous amount of time, effort, and energy um, to take place. And I think it, it it's um, definitely lost on the general public mm-hmm. a, a lot. It's like, oh, when is this going to happen? And you know, Columbus has tried multiple times to try to uh, – they've put in that work, that, that five to ten years of work on uh, like a light rail quarter in, right. in the past, right? So, um, you know, uh, this is not something we're trying again for the first time. I think the the most important thing to keep in mind is that when we're going through these processes and we put all that work in to have like political leadership just like throw that out the window and start over, that is very damaging to the process of advancing. So definitely thinking about continuing the course and getting those things done because otherwise it's just kind of like a waste in time. Right. So, right. And but, and it, and that's what discourages people. Yeah. Yeah. So I, leadership that really stands behind the future of the region and thinking about uh its course uh for, you know, uh, allowing those planning investments of now to pay off in the future. Right. Very important. And th- that's something I uniquely see from the position I'm in. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I had mentioned to Theo when we were talking before podcasting that uh, well, I live in Delaware County. So when I first moved there, I sat in traffic all the time because everything was still a two lane road, even though that whole south corridor of Delaware County exploded with new building. They never changed the main roads other than Players Parkway. Mm-hmm. 
So all of these two-lane roads going into Players Parkway, it would take me 30 minutes just to get to the freeway, which was three miles away. So now Delaware has all of this building money, so I'm still sitting in traffic behind the construction cars. But at least, <laughs> at least there is hope. Hope there's movement, momentum, and a and a and a final date that the construction folks have to be done or get penalized. So that's that's, that's my key, my wish. Right. That's my wish. But it but it is Columbus is known as having two seasons. You know, orange barrel and winter. Yes. And so on that note. Thea, thank you. This yes, is wonderful. This is wonderful. Um, listeners, It there, it's a lot of information. And yes, yes, I realize that transportation may not be on the top of your list right now since you're working from home. However, when you have to go back downtown, um, there is limited parking. So you may want to think your plan out. And we will, again, have all of the resources included in our show notes with information on Morpsey so that if folks have questions, they can contact Morpsey. So again, Thea, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Carol. And thank you, Brett. It was great to just get out of the house. There you go. (laughs) Have a good one.